Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me here to unravel the space epic mystery box that Mr. Abrams has assembled for us is my best friend and co-host, Darth Patch. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Uh, let's go. You know, only hey. one of the Darths that we know actually breathes like that. It's funny that we associate it with the well, name. It's iconic, you know, it Darth. Is. It is. <laughs> well, <call> dearth. <laughs> dearth. <laughs> well, the nine film Skywalker saga has finally come to a close, or so they are trying to sell us on. And surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, rather, this final film is proving to be extremely divisive, just as the previous two in this trilogy were. Before we jump in, just a couple of quick notes, though. We are going to be having another double episode drop next weekend. That includes our December donor pick episode on Die Hard and a conversation about Greta Gerwig's Little Women. We also want to mention that January is right around the corner and the donor pick episode for that month will be one of 2019's best films that we haven't talked about yet. So there'll be five up for voting there as usual. It's a great time to get involved by becoming a supporter and it would be a little like a Christmas present for us too. Just visit patreon.com slash feelinfilm to learn more. And lastly, coming in early January is our 2019 end-of-year special, always one of the most fun times we have all year long. And then the rest of the month, we'll be diving into Makoto Shinkai Director Month, plus a special bonus episode on 1917. Super exciting. So much content, so little time. We hope you're enjoying it because we certainly are. Well, I feel like if we're covering Shinkai, there's so much time travel in there that maybe we will solve the riddle of time travel while we're doing Director Month, and we'll be able to, you know, mitigate some of that time that we have to put in. I like your optimism. I like your optimism. Or we'll end up swapping bodies and not knowing what's going on. As long as we don't text message in a foreign language, I'm okay with that. Well, we know what's going to happen if they put my body into a cat, because the way people are responding, that would not go over well. <laughs> Well, I think that's it, Patrick. So, listeners, here's your spoiler warning. This is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. This is the movie of Christmas, the movie of the year for some, and we are going to spoil the heck out of it. We're going to talk about its themes and its character arcs and everything in between. So, if you haven't seen it yet, I don't know why you're here. Please go away and come back when you have. <laughs> With that being said... I say that in love, of course. But with that being Go said, Patrick. <laughs> You're gone. <laughs> what is your one-word takeaway? Oh, I battled with several. Um, and none of them were four letters, just letting you know. Um, but the word that I think really sums up how I felt was fitting. And, uh, you know, me and you being creative people, we like to kind of attach a lot of meaning to our words. Sometimes it's just like the one word is just that. But in this case, the word fitting has kind of a dual meaning. One, I think that for a general audience of Star Wars fans, this was a fitting ending to a lot of what some folks wanted. We had resolution with Ray. We had resolution with 
with Kylo slash Ben. Really, there seemed to be a fitting end to the entire saga. My wife went with me and she was kind of sad that we're not going to get any more, I guess, officially speaking. Yeah, she wanted to see more adventures, I guess. And I said, well, maybe we could have like a like a buddy comedy with uh, with, you know, Finn and Poe. I think that'd be kind of fun or something like that. But I think the other meaning behind the word fitting is that this movie seemed to be trying to fit as much as it could into a third movie. I, I think it was very self-aware in knowing that, hey, there are only supposed to be nine of these. We can't make ten. I guess you could because, you know, whatever. You have book series that are trilogies that are made into four movies. But I think that there's a sense of fitting everything in that caters to fans, that maybe cater to kids and adults and tries to bring everything full circle. But for my money, I don't think it worked as well as it wanted to. I think there was a lot in there and it wasn't a mess by any means. It was kind of a decently crafted chaos for about two and a half hours. And I think with Abrams and company trying to fit so much from picking up where Johnson left off in The Last Jedi and trying to bring this into a full resolution, fitting as much as he could in, didn't necessarily pay off in some respects. It did in others. But for the most part, mm, if this was trying to be a home run, I think it probably had maybe a single, possibly a ground rule double. Well, our words are extremely similar it seems because my one word takeaway was forced (laughs) see mine's a star wars pun and yours it is yes you're better than mine first of all though i want to say this i am so happy every time i hear someone mention just how much that they loved this movie or any star wars film or any movie i genuinely get excited for others because i always want to have that experience myself and No matter what I think about a film critically or how it made me feel, I will never, ever desire for others to be disappointed by or dislike a movie. And I know that you feel the same, Patrick. Now, people need to buckle up because we do honesty on this show. And even though we are normally very positive, sometimes when we are covering new releases, we aren't picking the movies because we already love them. We're picking Fallen Kingdom because we Fallen Kingdom. Excuse me. Yeah, well, I don't know that we're going to go that negative, so that's good. No. There's always a barometer now. There Fallen is. Kingdom has set that for us yeah. so low, <laughs> but I'm not going to deviate. And you know, I sat down, Patrick, before this podcast episode, literally 15 minutes ago, because I wanted to absolutely be sure. And I had six pages of notes on this movie, and I'm glad I took them because I would not have remembered half of the plot. Because there was so much that happened, but I have like six pages of just directly scribbled, like, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. So I was able to kind of go back through that. And what I did is I took about 10 minutes and I wrote down a list of things that I loved because there's a whole laundry list of things that are more thematic in nature that is generally what you and I talk about the most that I didn't love. And so I wanted to be sure to, if I can't go over them during the course of the podcast to be able to come back and say, hey, this is what I like. Because there there's a lot I like about this movie, but a lot of that is probably not going to come out in this conversation. So I'm just kind of setting the stage here. I'm sorry. Um, everything I'm about to say is just my experience, as it is for you, of course. And if listeners, yours was better or worse or whatever, that's totally fine. But this is just how we felt. 
So primarily, I felt that this was a forced response to what Ryan Johnson did in The Last Jedi, and more specifically, a forced response to a subset of loud internet fans, people who call themselves fans, who were hurt by the way that The Last Jedi did Luke Skywalker and told that story. And I think that this was written as a specific response to that, and that it was forced to be that, for better and for worse. I also think that in general, this was just a forcing of so much into a saga-ending film that somehow, Patrick, it feels both overly stuffed and also not nearly long enough <laughs> at the same time to me. The pace, the chaos that you were talking about, you're right. It's not a mess in the sense that the editing is so bad that we don't know what things are happening. Like, we can follow the timelines, but there's so much happening. And yet, there's all of these character arcs that I was not satisfied with the way that they ended. The wrap-up that these guys got. Like your wife said, she would love to see more from some of these. I would have liked to have had a, a better feeling about where we left some of our primary characters much less new ones that just were getting introduced. So there's so much forced about this episode. I have been forcing myself to try <laughs> and think about it positively for the last week or so since I've seen it uh, because I do want to like it more. And I didn't hate it. I would sum up my experience like this. I had a lot of fun in the theater watching this movie with my son, Patrick. The more I've thought about it, after I left the theater, the worse it got for me in hindsight. And the things that were lacking in this was specifically those memorable moments that I could point to in many other Star Wars films. I don't have that connection to anything that happened in this movie. And so it's kind of fallen off my radar. And that's too bad right? Um, it's too bad, but that is where I am. Now, I want to start by kind of talking about something that I've realized recently is affecting me a lot, and, and it's really something that we talked about earlier this year as well during our Avengers Endgame episode, because it's similar. What we're dealing here with is the ending of an immensely long period of storytelling. In in game's case, of course, we're talking like 22 movies. Here we're talking nine, but we're talking 40 years and all of this extended material and just there's so much there. What I have found is that I have not necessarily franchise fatigue, Patrick, but I think that I have ending fatigue. I have learned that for me, beginnings trump endings a hundred times over three this year left me significantly disappointed even though i really enjoyed the films in some capacity overall avengers endgame was a letdown after infinity war for me how to train your dragon 3 was a letdown for me based on my love of the other two and now here we are again with the rise of skywalker being a letdown for me based on my love of the other two it's a, such a similar response that I had going into them that I found that I just have an issue with the way that Hollywood is landing the plane in series 
these days. And I fear that this is what's going to happen with Fast and the Furious. And it drives me bonk. It makes me lose sleep at night because I don't want it to happen. But I think it is. And so I wondered what you thought about this concept. And is there some impact that's happening to us as moviegoers as with our expectations and not only with our expectations, but maybe with the way that Hollywood is feeling they have to tell these stories now in a social media fueled world. Are we just in for this with sequels and franchise enders? You know, Game of Thrones, another great example from this year, total letdown in its final season. Couldn't live up to the hype that we had all hoped for. So yeah, what's going on with that, man? I think it's an epidemic anyway, when you come to narratives, because I think in our psychological brains, which might be a redundancy i don't know as opposed to our non-psychological brains our our, our (laughs) biological brains (laughs) i think the psychology of who we are is we don't like things to end we don't like knowing that there is a finite thing i mean if you want to take it to a theological level people in general might be afraid of dying because they don't like the fact that maybe they don't know what's going to happen afterwards um I'm connected more with television shows. Something I do, Aaron, when I watch a TV series, even if I've seen the series more than once, The West Wing is a great example of this. Most series, if I watch them or rewatch them, after I watch the last episode, you know what I do? You I watch re-watch, the first episode. I rewatch the pilot. And the reason why is because for me, it lessens the impact of, oh my gosh, there's no more story to tell. And I think some of that influences who we are as an audience and maybe who the creatives are as directors and writers, because just like when it comes to a book to movie adaptation, there's an expectation that we have because we live with these characters for so long. We've lived with their stories. We have individual preconceptions about how it's supposed to end. And in particular with the, with the Marvel franchise, I was satisfied with Endgame. But you're also wrapping up a huge chunk of character arcs. And I think that it did it probably better than most. But when it comes to things like Star Wars, as you mentioned, you've got 40 plus years of history. And really, it's all about Skywalker. Skywalker is the focal point of the middle three movies. Anakin is the focal point probably to a fault of the first three i'm a big proponent of the fact that that should have been ben kenobi's arc the first three movies i think it would have been a lot more interesting uh with anakin being a part of that but then you get these last three and the big thing that we know is that this is ray's story the problem aaron is that you have three movies that deal with her in some similar ways, generally speaking, but they tell her story differently. So when you come to a movie like The Rise of Skywalker, I feel like even at two and a half hours, it's tough to land the plane because we don't really know what we want from her. I mean, we've gotten really two different images. Is she a Skywalker? Is she a, I guess, a Palpatine in this case? I guess in this case we know she is, but that mystery box that J.J. Abrams gave us, who is Ray, really sets us up for failure because there's a group of people that want her to be a Skywalker. There's a group of people who don't want her to be anything. 
There's a group of people who don't know what she is and don't really care. And so I think this is, I think it's symptomatic of us as an audience not really knowing what we want. And in a world of social media, we kind of drive that opinion. But I think it's also a creative's dilemma too. And I'm not going to say it's a J.J. Abrams problem because I could blame him for Lost, but this is not his, that's the ending of Lost is not his problem. This was Lindelof and, and, and Q's who had all this stuff they had to wrap up. But J.J. Abrams is known for this mystery box. And sometimes the mystery box gets to become a Pandora's box because you have so much that you're exploring and then you kind of bring it to a focal point. You have to make a decision. What do we wrap up or how do we wrap that up? And that's what I feel like the Rise of Skywalker did was it said, ooh, Ray is this. No, Ray is that. Maybe she's this. Maybe it's that. You know what? We're going to make her this. And I feel like, could be wrong because I'm just a fan, just an audience member, but I feel like it was influenced by that subset of really, really bad fans who were like, she needs to be a Skywalker. And this is what we get. And so when it comes to movie endings, saga endings, Fast and the Furious comes to mind. I'm a little cautious, too, because there were countless times during that series when we could have said, OK, that's the exclamation point. You know, Brian leaves. That's it. We don't need any more. You're right. And then we get fate. Now we're getting nine and ten. And you and I both agree we're excited about these movies. But from a family standpoint, from the things that we value, what's it going to do? Is it going to feel cheap? Kind of feel like it will. And I think it's just the nature of having a successful franchise and trying to find a way to make money and really kind of grab your biggest audience that you can. And I feel like The Rise of Skywalker tried to do that. So what you just said is also one of the things that I would say is the biggest reason for The Rise of Skywalker's issues as I see them. And that is a combination of this social media world that we live in. Whereas, you know, when a trilogy came out, I, I Patrick, I was thinking about this the other night. I was literally just wanting to praise God. And I'm not using hyperbole, literally telling God, thank you for giving me the Lord of the Rings trilogy before social media could take over and ruin it. I, I dread what would have happened. Because there's bound to be people out there that would have trashed it. Because there's people that trash everything, right? And so, how loud does that get for everything is one of the biggest issues you have. And then, you know, in that case, I guess it would have been not as big a deal because they were all filmed together. Yada, yada, yada. But my point being is that I think that the fact that these stories are being told while reaction is happening, ongoing in such a loud medium compared to the past where I think that, you know, before social media existed, you could survey and gauge an audience as to how they felt about your film, but pretty much all you would have to go on other than that would be critical response and box office take, right? And box office take tells you absolutely nothing about what people truly think of your story. But now everybody wants to write it themselves, like you said. Everybody wants to, especially with Abrams and this mystery box crap. Like, I'm over it. <laughs> I am. I'm over it. Like, it's cool once or twice. 
And there are certain movies that I think it works with, but I don't think it works with something this deep in mythology that people are this invested in. And so everybody wants to tell their own stories and you've put yourself in this situation where you are going to be picked apart. But then the other part of that, I think, is that the Star Wars universe is big and broad. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. What do you think, from your knowledge of the movies, happened at Luke's Jedi Temple with Kylo Ren, with Ben? <laughs> As you remember, what do you remember from The Last Jedi telling you? Um, it's been a while since I've seen The Last Jedi, okay. so I can't, I'm not going to try to make something up. But that's, that's, that's all you know, right? Yeah. So in The Last Jedi, we learned that, you know, there's a couple of conflicting perspectives on it. Sure. Luke talks about how Ben went crazy, mm-hmm. killed everybody, ran off with some students. Right. Then we get the quote unquote truth where Ben said, Ben's saying, you know, he woke up and he saw Luke who had his saber out before Luke could do anything about it. You know, Ben brought down the wall on Luke, knocking him out. And then we're led to believe that he, in a rage, destroyed everything and went dark, right? Created the Knights of Ren. Well, what if I told you, Patrick, that there's an entire comic book series that takes place between now and the Rise of Skywalker, in which it tells us that none of that actually happened that way, that Ben did not kill anybody at the Jedi Temple, and that Ben was discovered a cloud hanging over the Jedi Temple that we are assumed to believe is probably Palpatine or Snoke, and that this is what drove Ben out, that he didn't actually murder any students. That's not what the story of The Last Jedi implies. But that's where his character is at the beginning of The Rise of Skywalker, right? There's there's a, there's a some nuance to him that we just don't know. Those are things that I find to be issues. Not, not I'm not saying like that's a major problem with The Rise of Skywalker, but I'm saying that it's indicative of story not being in the movie. J.J. did an interview just a couple days ago in which he said, this is what Finn said wanted to tell Ray. So I was going to ask you that too. What did you think Finn wanted to tell Ray in the Rise of Skywalker? By the end, of, by the end of the movie, I figured he was telling him that, or he was going to tell her that he had Force powers. But let me let me push back a little bit because I think that when it comes to cinematic storytelling, I'm not going to. I don't want to go as far as saying that Marvel has created the rule book, although they're probably the most successful. Maybe the Harry Potter universe, but that comes from a book series. We're talking about quote unquote original content, a bigger story, you know, an overarching story. The Marvel Cinematic Universe didn't have mythology wrapped up in comic books and cartoon series that informed the overall narrative. Now, that doesn't make the Star Wars universe like, um, innocent in that the fact is the things that we get from these anthology series like solo rogue one they're informed by tv series they're informed by comic books and things like that so you're right in a sense that we don't have the entire story going into this third movie but the truth is aaron i didn't know about the comic books and i don't know that a lot of casual viewers would either so to me trying to connect those dots 
it's a it's a different frustration of trying to connect the dots. It's not that, oh my gosh, you didn't give me all the information. No, it's just that you said this here and now you're doing this here. So my issue comes with an inconsistency. Why that inconsistency exists, that's a different story altogether. Well, yeah, I mean, I was getting that. I was still getting to my point. My point was okay. that that it is not. I'm not saying that's the problem with this movie. I'm saying, to me, it is indicative of a problem with not telling a story that is cohesive and singular and completely contained within right. your movie universe. JJ came out afterwards in an interview and said that that is correct. That Finn was going to tell Ray that he was force sensitive, right? But Patrick, that's not what I got from the movie, and I've talked to other people who didn't get that either. People that I've talked to agreed with me. I thought Finn had feelings for Ray. The way that that scene plays out, especially the first time when he talks to her, oh, for sure. is almost romantic in a sense of like, hey, I really need to confess this, like these feelings to you. Right. And that and that could be either way. It's ambiguous. And my mm-hmm. issue is that if you're gonna give me something in a movie that is going to be ambiguous, JJ then leave it ambiguous. Don't come out after the fact and tell me what you actually meant for it to mean in an interview. Either make it clear in the movie or don't make it ambiguous. You know what I'm saying? And that, I think that to me, it indicates a desire to spread so much of this universe out that you're not actually intent on putting it all into your movie universe. You're like intentionally pulling pieces out and putting them in other mediums yeah, because that's how this works. So Whereas, it's kind of like a, it's like a Swiss cheese universe where you have a a piece of this here. There's a hole there, but that hole probably gets filled in by this TV series or by that comic book. Because so everything is like all about Easter eggs, right? Where in the past, let's say the original trilogy, yes, plenty of extended universe old material comes out of that that fills in gaps. But that doesn't happen until all three movies have been completed. Those three movies stand completely together and then we start getting extra information in the backstories later on and i just don't believe that that i believe that that has influenced the way that the stories are being written now because they're written with that in mind instead of that being an afterthought and coming about later so one of my many issues with kind of the way that i fear these this way of storytelling is going in the future <laughs> and, and especially this star wars has gone even though it's um, a galaxy far far away a long time ago it's still a future issue that's true that's a terrible joke i oh, sorry yeah. okay so <laughs> online discourse around star wars is unlike almost anything that we have seen right there's other mediums where people get upset about stuff generally marvel but nothing to me has rivaled the fights over the star wars and the last jedi specifically that we saw a couple years ago why do you think people care so much about this film series and this mythology? I think because of the expansion of it over so many years and multi-generations. Marvel did something unparalleled. They crammed 22 movies into 11 years, I think, and culminated to what we saw was probably one of the biggest epic conclusions of cinematic history. The Star Wars universe is just that it's a universe and it, it it spans across multiple mediums comic books books television movies cartoons it's i mean it's everywhere i mean heck we've got a series called the mandalorian on disney plus as a result of these things we're gonna have i, I think there's i don't know if there's a couple of more 
Star Wars series coming out, but it is a it is a historically important mythology to a multi-generational group of people. And I think that because it was kind of ahead of its time in terms of its storytelling and what Lucas was doing both visually and narratively, people grabbed onto that. I mean, this is the quintessential hero's journey, the original three, episodes four through six. We get that Eastern mysticism. I think, Aaron, this is me speculating, but I think it was the first movie series, blockbuster movie series, where we actually got to have intelligent conversation beyond just that was cool. Whenever I was in, I guess, 10th grade, we were assigned prior to starting 10th grade, we were assigned to watch the original Star I mean, it wasn't original. I mean, these were the, the prequels hadn't come out yet. So it was the Star Wars trilogy. And we were going to spend the first two weeks of the semester analyzing it and seeing how George Lucas used Eastern mysticism and samurai influence to tell this story, to dissect the color palette. Why is Luke in white in A New Hope and he's in black in Return of the Jedi? I mean, it was cool stuff. And for people that latched onto that or people that latched onto that adventure, I think it felt to them like, you know what? These are movies that I could feel like are important to me. They're not just throwaways. They're not just there for entertainment value. They actually mean something. What I think has happened is you've got this subset of fans who have taken it beyond fandom and they've actually incorporated it into if you don't do it this way, if it doesn't turn out this way, you're not just ruining my childhood, you're ruining a piece of my life. And you know what? We all have something we want to believe in. We all have things that we value deeply. I'm not going to fault anybody for that. But I am going to say that the influence of social media and the voices that have gotten louder and louder and louder since the prequels have come out have created a dissension that this universe has to be something, has to be something specific. And so when we get The Force Awakens, what we get is a reincarnation of what the original series, the mainline movies are supposed to look like and feel like not digitized, but some practical effects. Some, I mean, every, it looked like an original star Wars movie. And then we get the last Jedi, Ryan Johnson's ambitious storytelling movie, which I'm going to go on record and saying, this is my favorite with empire just behind it. And that created a sense of, wait a minute, you have rocked the boat. You have changed things, and you have deliberately done it, and we think you're doing that to spite us. And so when we get to the to the, the rise of Skywalker, now we get almost what feels like a reaction to that and a way to say, we want to satisfy the fans that are mad and they're being ugly, but we also want to finish the story and make sure that everybody's happy. And so for for people that are in love with this, it becomes almost annoying because it's like, why can't we enjoy something new? Why can't we enjoy what's there now? Why can't we let storytellers tell stories? Why do they have to fit into this world that you've created in your head or in your comic book or in your novel? And it's frustrating because I'm not that guy. I'm a casual fan. Knowing that this movie was coming out, I was like, okay, 
it's going to be one that we cover because it's a big movie and I like Star Wars. But this isn't one that I was counting down the days. This isn't one where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen to Ray. Is she going to be, you know, what's I, I wasn't wringing my hands. My wife and I were having dinner afterwards and we saw we were at this table, like not three feet away. And the entire time, that's all they talked about was the movie and the history and almost like it actually happened. <laughs> and I, I think that there's a sense of value in owning something and being an expert in that and being so deep in that that makes you feel like you're a part of it. And so you have this group of fans that feel like it's more than just movies. It's more than just comic books. It's more than just cartoons. It is a part of them. And to me, I think that's getting pretty unhealthy. Completely agree. And, you know, one of the things that JJ has said in interviews recently, I'll give him a ton of props for this because I agree with him. He said that as for fans who prefer one film over the other with regards to The Last Jedi, I would say that they're right. And the people who love it more than anything are also right. The ones who love it and don't love it. Um, he said that in terms of tackling the Star Wars universe, uh, that there's no pleasing everyone. I was asked just seven hours ago in another country, how do you go about pleasing everyone? And I said, what? Not to say that that's what anyone should not or should try to do anyway, but how would one go about doing that, especially with Star Wars? We knew starting this that any decision we made, a design decision, a musical decision, a narrative decision, would please someone and infuriate someone else. And they're all right. There is an MO of either. It's exactly as I see it or you're my enemy. It's a crazy thing that there's such a norm that seems to be void of nuance and compassion. And this is not a phenomenon about Star Wars. This is about everything. Exactly what you were just saying. And I completely agree with you both that there is such a vocal sect <laughs> and, and it's a minority. It's a minority that's vocal. But again, social media has given us the ability to have that feel like it's this big thing. But I personally don't love this movie. I am disappointed. I am saddened. I am not angry because it did not go the way that I wanted it to go. And we're going to talk about multiple reasons why I would have preferred it gone different ways. That's what we do. But none of this is said because I think JJ got it wrong. Does that make sense? Um, he got it wrong based on what I wanted, but he didn't get it wrong based on at all times. There are some things that I think he could have done, you know, clearer within his own storytelling even, right. but, but I'm saying I didn't like it. That doesn't make it terrible. And, and the worst thing ever. I don't take it personal. And I think that's what you're getting at. And unfortunately, yeah. that's where we've gotten. Well, this is the thing about the Star Wars universe is maybe there's this idea that you had this trilogy of four, five, and six that were considered perfect to a lot of people. It set the standard. And then you have these prequels that were substandard in hindsight. You wanted seven, eight, and nine to just... You're finishing the saga. You got to make sure it's big and huge. You know, you got to make sure it's awesome. And maybe for a lot of people, maybe a small group of people, a three-star movie, a movie that was okay, a movie that was fine, isn't enough for them. No, it has to be great. You need to love it because it's Star Wars. No, I don't. Um, I have a conversation with a, a friend of mine at work. We always talk movies and. There are things that we're hilariously divisive on 
uh, movies that he won't go see that I say you absolutely need to. But I know that my opinion is not going to matter to him because at the end of the day, he's going to like what he's going to like. He's got a military background, so he's going to gravitate towards more of those types of movies. Loves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Love Thor Ragnarok. I adamantly said I did not like that movie at all. It was okay. It was a three-star movie for me. But in no way during our conversation did he say, you're wrong, or you need to reevaluate your priorities because Thor Ragnarok was awesome. Okay. Because we could have those honest conversations and not criticize each other's opinion, because we could respect the fact that I liked something and he didn't, that's why we go to movies, Aaron. We like what we like, and we shouldn't – this is why I don't like the term guilty pleasure. We should never feel guilty about what we like. Amen. And when it comes to Star Wars, I'm okay with it ending the way it did. I would have liked something different just like you. But you know what? J.J. Abrams is a talented director, and he has a talented group of people. So in no way did this movie fail. It just didn't live up to what I would have liked, but I'm okay with that. Is he going to write something, direct something that I'm going to go see again? You betcha, because historically, I've liked a lot of his stuff. I've also not liked some of his stuff. And the fact is, unless you're Michael Bay, <laughs> I'm probably going to go see your movie. You're going to go see Michael Bay movies, too, whether you I, like him or not. <laughs> if we cover it on the show, I might be sick that week. Yeah. Oh, you can't call <laughs> it sick. That's not how this works. If he directs a Fast and the Furious movie, I might get mad. I would actually be mad, too. Very mad. <laughs> And he did. It's called Six Underground. It's on Netflix. Okay. All right. The uh, movie's divisiveness. Let's get into the movie itself. This seems to mostly stem from the issue of trilogy cohesion versus individual storytelling. So do you feel that The Rise of Skywalker managed to work independently of its predecessors while also working in concert with the overall narrative arc of a trilogy one through three, or I guess in this case, seven through nine. I think that it worked better in individual installments. Um, as I was thinking about it afterwards, I really am starting to appreciate the value of the fact that each one of these are called episodes. Because when I think of television, I think of a sense of cohesion, but Episodic storytelling gives more weight to the individual story being told within that time frame, within that 30 minutes or an hour, or in this case, two hours. So when it comes to each of these three, and I'd have to go back and watch the other six at some point to see if they do this too, I feel like there was more weight put on, here's what's happening now. And we're going to care a little bit less or be concerned a little bit less with the overall type of things that are important but aren't as important as the things right now now the thing is that can be very detrimental because abram sets up pretty early on in the force awakens who is ray and who are these people and who's you know so when you look at that you kind of give importance to those you kind of tell your audience you need to think of these as important and i think the execution of that wasn't uh wasn't thought out there's a a couple of uh, a couple of quotes from some members of our Facebook group. One said, "I wish the studio would have a bigger plan for the last trilogy as a whole. Each episode is fine and enjoyable on its own, but instead of a three-movie progression, it feels like each movie 
just does its own thing and will course correct on whatever they deem necessary. I think that's a very true statement. Someone else said uh, shoehorning Ray into a legacy bloodline after two whole films rejecting that very notion is a retcon, a bad one that stole some of her, her agency. And I would agree with that too. I think that each movie in and of itself was very successful in being able to tell the story that it wanted to, but it also kind of relied on its predecessor to tell that story. And that's where I think it kind of failed. Yeah, I think it failed. And this is, we just talked about how we weren't going to say that JJ was wrong or <laughs> that it was bad, I guess. I don't know. It, look, I think that the failure, one of the failures of this universe was not being written fully before it started period agree and that is probably the one flag i will plant because everything stems from that that i find to be problematic and even in the movies that i love and one of these movies is a five-star movie for me one of them is a strong four-star movie for me and now we have this one so they've gone downhill in my estimation but that's just the one guy my point being that there's a wide swath of my opinion on them all the way to this is great. So clearly some of it works. I just think it should have been a planned out from point A to point B. This is where Ray starts and this is where Ray ends. And if you're going to use different directors in the middle of that, that's fine. But there should have been a series of notes handed to Ryan Johnson that said, this is what is untouchable. This is this the path. And whatever direction you want to take us to get us on this ultimate path is fine if we're going to give you that freedom. And then JJ needed to accept that. But, but those decisions had to be made ahead of time. And I just don't feel like there was enough strength in whatever happened in those meetings to, to make this work as a whole. It's too reactionary from one to the other. And it just doesn't feel like a whole to me. And so, like you said, I actually, I like them much more individually. Um, I watched for the first time Force Awakens and The Last Jedi back-to-back nights as rewatches leading up to The Rise of Skywalker. And there is such a tonal difference in those films that, to me, it was difficult to watch them back-to-back, honestly. I found myself falling in love with The Force Awakens this time around, Patrick, whereas it was kind of... I was a little bit less sold on it when we did our episode... The fan service kind of bothered me. Now I, I think it's perfect. I really do. I think it's it's just it's a five star movie to me. I love it with all my heart. And then I move into the Last Jedi directly after it, and there is such a difference in feel and in the way that things are taking place that it doesn't work as well because it's coming on the heels of me watching that movie. Whereas if I sat down and just watched the Last Jedi in the middle of summer. Right. No other context. It's just like, oh, I'm going to watch The Last Jedi because I like how that movie goes. I'm going to like it more because it's a standalone episode at that point. I think that may be what you is that what you're saying? Because I feel that way. It is. And I think that there's a there's a (laughs) this is something that's really interesting about the Star Wars universe is that you have to think 77 was A New Hope. 81, I think, was Empire. And then 83 was Jedi. In the world of non-internet people, there was six years, seven years, between episodes four and episode six, you felt that distance. 
each episode catches you up to what's been happening. When you watch The Force Awakens and then you back it up with The Last Jedi, which are definitely tonally different, there's a time frame that has taken place between them. You've had a chance to digest what you've experienced with The Force Awakens from an audience perspective, but also from a narrative perspective. One of the things that's beneficial about each of these movies is the fact that they do take place physically in a distance from one another. It's not like what happened at the end of The Force Awakens, to my knowledge, immediately picks up in The Last Jedi. doesn't do that. That's why you have that scrolling title card that tells you, here's what's going on. And to J.J. Abrams' benefit, you have that in The Rise of Skywalker. Here's what's been going on. Oh, by the way, Palpatine's back. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. As much as I don't like that, you've kind of been able to do that and give me that. And you have that. You can do that because the rule is not broken at that point. You have this distance between Jedi and between uh, the rise of Skywalker that gives you that freedom to be able to say, hey, we can probably bridge this in a way that makes some sense. I mean, not complete sense. But at the same time, I think if I were to watch all three of these in a row, I don't know that I would like them together because I don't think they're meant to be digested that way. Exactly. And I think that for me, I'm it's but there's a potential I'm going to like The Rise of Skywalker more when I watch it by itself four months from now when it comes out on Blu-ray or 4K, whatever, right? I can tell you I don't like it enough to go see it again in a theater, and that makes me sad. I also, that's what I was saying earlier about sequels. Like, I haven't watched Avengers Endgame a second time. Like, I just did not, and, and I don't, by any means, didn't love, enjoy the experience. I just have not felt that desires. And so it's... That's different. Like for me, Avengers Endgame requires me to watch Infinity War. Right there you go. It. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so it's a bigger thing. And so that's like the difference where I do think if I watch this movie by itself without having watched the other two night each night before going into it, like literally The Last Jedi, I maybe finished it 1230 at night and I saw The Rise of Skywalker the next morning at 10. Like I was walking right into it, man. There was no gap. I think that that is a failure overall in storytelling i think that they should flow i really do um personally okay so i, I would prefer that they flow well i'll try to keep with that language i, I think you're right yeah it doesn't work as well for me well if they're going to be independent like that but if, if you have a character like ray i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no that's um, fine if you have a character like ray who has such a an importance in a story you're as a, as a, as a person watching the movies, you're going, okay, I need to focus on her, focus on her. But this is not a trilogy that's a, it's about her, but it encompasses everybody else. It's just as much about Finn and about her and about Ben and about Poe and at some point about Rose. <laughs> but you have all these characters that you have importance with each one of them. And this movie, Really, I mean, it preaches that togetherness. We're together. We're together. We're together. But the issue that that I run into is the fact that I don't think these should necessarily flow. If you're not going, if you're gonna, if you're gonna give me a character that's of that importance, yes, there needs to be a little bit, a little bit more cohesion. Because if if we watch episodes four through six, it's clearly Luke Skywalker's story. He is the central focus 
when we get to the rise of Skywalker, we get three different scenes surrounding three groups of people. I think I want to say one is with Kylo, one is with Ray, and I think one's with Poe and, and Finn to kind of help set up where everybody is. That doesn't help me in my seat going, okay, wait, what's, what's up with Ray? Oh, wait, why are we watching Kylo? What's he, wait, what is he doing? And I think that's part of what that title card is giving us some information, but it's not giving us enough to say, here's what you need to focus on. At least I didn't read it that way. Literally. I did not read into saying, okay, I need to focus on this because we get all this stuff about something's afoot. And then the next thing we see is Kylo Ren just killing people. And I'm like, okay, I guess. Yeah. Cause that's what he does. He kills people. So I think having, having context and being able to create cohesion with a central figure is important. And if it's that important, you need to have more cohesion. Otherwise, if it's just an adventure series, don't put that much emphasis on one person and don't give them that much value, which is, I think where the rise of Skywalker frustrates me is it puts too much emphasis on and too much value on that one person. It certainly does. And therein lies the number one issue at heart for the rise of Skywalker. The big answer that we all had to get right. Ray's parentage. In the force awakens, it's a mystery. In the last Jedi, Kylo tells her, your parents were nobodies. You're a nobody. You just happen to have the Force. It's chosen you or whatever, but like it has nothing to do with legacy in your name. So what happens in The Rise of Skywalker is we walk that back. Okay? To an extent, there, there are some things that happen in this movie that would lead me to believe otherwise, but for the most part, with direct scenes revolving Rey and the way this story plays out, we try, J.J., it seems, is trying to have his cake and eat it, too, because, yes, her parents were nobodies, but they also were direct descendants of Palpatine. And so there is a Force user in her bloodline. So she is no longer a nobody, Patrick. That is that is clear. So that is what I call a retcon of the intent of The Last Jedi. And I know others have tried to argue it's not a retcon. It's freaking retcon. Like, it is clearly set, it's very obvious that that is what is being intended here, is to walk back that plan and go back to Rey is a Force user because of there's something with her, a name that has given it to her. And this brings us Emperor Palpatine back from the dead. He tells us he's been a puppet master the whole time, that I don't, I don't, I mean, it looks like he's got clones of Snoke in a chamber, like he's been cloning all these other characters that have been pulling the strings ever since he got thrown into a pit. What do you think about the way that Ray's parentage question was answered and specifically as it relates to the entire arc that this film is essentially built around this Emperor Palpatine character coming back for the very first time in this series, the first time he's been mentioned? I want to watch the last Jedi again. <laughs> I think two years ago when we covered this, I don't know if I said this, I'll have to go back and listen to our episode, but I do remember thinking at least that if the star Wars saga ended with the last Jedi, I would have been completely happy. 
because so much about what Ryan Johnson did in saying that your legacy doesn't have to be where you came from, your legacy can be where you go, is not only a fantastic personal message, but also one that I think is important for these new characters. There's that great gif that uh, of you know of Luke kind of brushing off the dust. And I kind of feel like that was symbolic of just brush off your heritage, brush off your legacy, because who you are now is what matters. And that last great moment where that kid basically kind of uses the force to get the broom and start sweeping, essentially saying that anybody can have it, I think that's what pissed off fans more than anything. You're not special now, Ray. Well, no, you are, Ray. You're special in spite of your heritage. And when you when you introduce a guy who look, if we're going by history, got thrown in a reactor inside a Death Star that got blown up and you bring him back without any kind of explanation other than like mysticism or magic or creative writing, it frustrates me because it's almost like you're saying, Ray, you need to be important. You need to be important by being connected to somebody from the past. And for me, that just cheapened her because it basically, Aaron, it took the, it took the choice out of her hands. It took the choice away from what she was doing and how she was trying to continue her life and her conflict with, with Kylo seemed to be now just a, a repetition of Luke and Vader that ended in a similar way. Oh my gosh, you've got one guy that sacrifices for another. And in this case, it was a guy that sacrificed for a girl. So much about it felt very much like a safety net, like not just walking stuff back, but saying, you know what? This is going to be easier to digest because the last Jedi, there was a lot there and you got to actually see it more than once to really get all the good stuff. This felt like eating at the kids' table when it came to finishing off a narrative that I thought was pretty ambitious with the last entry. And I'm less concerned about the consistency between one film to another and more about the the things that were set up in The Last Jedi being cheapened, being walked back, and being almost ignored in The Rise of Skywalker and her legacy in particular. Yeah, it, so this is where most of my time the last few days has led me to start liking this less and less in the moment of watching the movie. It's really not that bad because at least it wasn't for me because I was in shock and awe mode. Like this is happening and this is what's going on. And okay. And then as I started to peel back and think about the implications of all of this stuff, it really started to bother me. And I really started thinking like, you know, she's doing Ryan Johnson or he's doing JJ Abrams doing Ryan Johnson dirty. And, and also Anakin, one of my biggest issues here is that when we bring Emperor Palpatine back and we are told he's been brought back from the dead because he does make a, he does have a line that implicates, uh, he does have a line that implicates that he was dead at one point. So we can believe that okay. Anakin did kill him. But the thing is that Anakin's sacrifice in doing that 
is wiped away. It's completely worthless. It did nothing. <laughs> I mean, maybe it did for a few years, but like ultimately it did nothing. It just made him stronger because now he's like a super puppet instead of a like little puppet in the Senate. He's a big, big puppet, <laughs> you know, as this Sith Lord. And in doing that, it, it just makes Anakin's whole sacrifice mute. And it, and it really bothers me because Anakin is who this whole story, if you really, I mean, I know people will point to Luke, but Anakin was the key point figure of really episodes one through six. Like that is the story arc that we were given. And to have him and have, you know, his end sort of rewritten as far as its impact goes really bothers me. And so then we end up with this issue of Ray and her parentage and, and the fact that, like you said, what's in a name, the power of names. And I have so many issues. There is an excellent article from Emily Vanderwerf. Is that her name? No, Emily Todd Vanderwerf uh, on Vox.com where she talks about her experiences um, with parentage as well and kind of relates some of them to her thoughts on this movie. And she makes so many great points in this article about why it's important for Ray to not be a Skywalker. It is a really cute coda at the end of this movie. And I, or at least JJ thinks it's cute. I found it pretty annoying when someone asks her, what's her name? And she says, Ray. And then she was like, dot, dot, dot Skywalker. As she sees some force ghosts. Emily writes in her article, why can't Ray be enough? Why must she also be part of a long legacy of heroism? Why do we reserve power for the few rather than the many, even our power fantasies? Grappling with the horrible things our ancestors did is an important part of growing up and establishing morals. But so is realizing that you can direct your own legacy. You can be Ray Palpatine and that your last name can come to mean something different than it used to even if people grimace when they hear it. And I am so in agreement with that paragraph. Um, you know, I think that it robs Ray, like you said, of so much by forcing her into this Europe Palpatine situation and making her want to be a Skywalker because the Skywalkers are the heroes of the universe. I also think that part of all of this stems from Ryan killing Snoke. And I think that JJ, I think that may be the one big thing that everybody didn't expect to happen. And so when that takes place, it's almost like Ryan takes the villain in a sense out of the story in episode two. And JJ's like, what do I do? And instead of being able to mold that into Kylo, who would feel very similar to Darth Vader. He's trying to find some other way to bring about a villain to rival. And so I understand, I guess is where I'm going with this. I understand the desire and the need to try and find that antagonist that can carry through. I don't like what they came up with. And I darn sure don't like that. If you're going to bring Emperor Palpatine back and tell me he was behind everything for the last three movies anyway, that he has godlike powers and can force lightning entire fleets 
out of the sky and raise entire fleets with mobile Death Stars. <laughs> we joked for years. We've joked like every movie has a Death Star. Which what kind of is this going to be a bigger Death Star? No, Patrick. But now they're mobile um, Death Stars on all these huge dark star destroyers. Right. I was so conflicted because when I saw cinematically that fleet rising up on Exegol, Patrick, I was like, this is sick. This is one of the most badass images I've ever seen from Star Wars in the theater in my life. And then I thought about it and I was like, if he can do that, we can't win. Like nobody won. Like this is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Like he's already won. If, if he's capable of doing that, then this is it, – it's a silly belief that we have – we would be able to, to to defeat that. And it makes no sense. And it made me really struggle. And so it was just this, uh, so everything around Palpatine, I think specifically as it relates to race parentage, which I don't like the direction of, but like everything around him is what derailed this movie for me personally. I think uh, in a sense that there was a lot that was in the rise of Skywalker from a conflict standpoint that would have worked really well on the force awakens. I mean, if the force awoken, so could I could believe that Palpatine came back. And yes, it would have probably negated Anakin's sacrifice, but I would have been more forgiving of that than I am in in this installment. What I think is the issue with the rise of Skywalker and something that we have had real issues with in any kind of superhero type of thing is stakes. There were like three or four times Okay, at least two. I say three or four. I don't want to. I don't want to overly emphasize, but there were at least two times when we got a whole "just kidding" moment. The first was was with Chewie when the transport ship was destroyed, and then oh, he was on another one. Uh, I guess it was the one that was off screen that we didn't see, and then we get that moment with C three PO. Yep. Who who is sacrificing his memory he's saying you know what everybody you're the audience you know this is very meta everything that you remember about star wars and about the history of luke and everything and anakin it's all going to be gone and then two scenes later r2 gives him the stuff back just kidding bothered me so much when are we going to get real death and kylo then kylo there's like force healing galore in this movie first they heal a snake then they heal each other. Then they heal each other again and transfer yeah. life. And like, it's three moments. And I'm like, where did all the force healing come from? Yeah. I don't, and the thing is, Aaron, I don't mind the force healing. I do mind it when it, I do mind it when it has, when, when death's involved. I don't mind force healing, but give me some rules. Give me parameters. You can't bring somebody back from the dead. This was an issue I had with Princess Leia in The Last Jedi. I think that there is a sense of we're not ready to lose this person just yet. Oh, and by the way, we're not going to really lose this person at all. I, I think that when you have a legacy like that, when you're so concerned about either remembering the past, the past needs to stay there. And I think that Ryan Johnson, for his part, did that for us. He gave us some sacrifice, He and he did it in a way that was very creative. What Abrams does is he says – no, I don't want to kill Chewie. No, I don't want to kill C-3PO. These are these are figurines on people's shelves. I know he's not thinking that. But this is where I think my frustration comes from and why I enjoyed Johnson's The Last Jedi so much is it said, forget the past. This is new. 
This is a new way of thinking and a new way of looking at this world, at this universe. It's time to embrace it. And you know what? It probably felt forceful. No pun intended. But the fact is, it was so refreshing to see that and then to feel like there was a step back and saying, you know what? Ah, we're not going to do that. We're actually going to bring back Palpatine because he's the big bad guy. And as a result, now we've negated the importance of one of these central figures in this entire universe, which is Anakin Skywalker. And it it feels in conflict with the previous two films. Like you said, not only The Last Jedi, but Han in The Force Awakens. That's the moment, man. He comes back and he is mur- that is what That is what creates a villain. Right, it's what creates Kylo Ren for the audience to despise, to empathize with, to, to, to all of these feelings and emotions that come from that, and, and then all of our love and desire for Han, and he's gone, right? And it works. It works phenomenally, I think, in that film, and then it works again, and then here it's like, oh, we can't just keep doing it. Like you said, we oh, we can't do that, and, and it's minor characters, so it doesn't make any sense. Like we've lost Han and Luke. And now you're afraid to, like, let Chewie die and let C-3PO die? Like, come on. Kylo's death the first time was one of the closest things to a memorable moment that this movie gave me, I think. Because it was that battle scene with lightsabers on the water planet with waves crashing up. They're on the wreckage, and it is a callback to Mustafar and Anakin and Obi-Wan's fight, and it is it is an amazingly crafted and, and designed cinematic moment. An impactful one, story-wise, I felt like, because I felt like up until that point, I was still tracking with Ren. I was still tracking with his arc, right, and Ben, and him going after this Wayfinder thing and trying to get to the Emperor and kill him so that he could be the supreme overlord of the universe. Like, I still followed and was like, okay, I get I get it. Like, I, I'm okay with this. I didn't like Kylo putting back his helmet on. That was another walk back, I feel. He became confident to the point that he was like, I don't need this mask. This is who I am. And then I feel like we've reversed course and now made him feel like he needs this mask to have power again, to be like those figures from the past. And that's frustrating to me. But that scene was so awesome. And so when she kills him, Patrick, I was not expecting it at all. Like I was not thinking that's what was going to happen. And that is why it matters so much. And there he is sitting there and he's, you see a lightsaber blade and it went through him and he's dying. And to undo that, I know where JJ's going. And, and I know it's supposed to be this big emotional moment where these two characters are caring for each other. You know, I, I get, I get it. It would have been so much more impactful for me had he died and had Ray had to live with the implica- the result of that and the consequences of that, emotionally speaking, as well as like physically and, and trying to complete her quest speaking. But like having to deal with the fact that this guy is a villain who's tried to kill you and in defending yourself and defending good across the universe, you had to do the hard deed and kill him. Um, I, I'm all for a redemption story. It didn't even redeem him, technically, like at the moment. You know what I mean? Like sure. It was later that that happened. Well, and I think that you're right. That unexpected moment, had it lingered and had it moved on to Ray having to 
live with that would have been fantastic. I'm more forgiving of that. I, I think that Abrams is very poetic in the way that he kind of parallels Force Awakens in that moment with with Ben and and Han. But where I got frustrated was at the end. You have Ben coming back. You know he's he was thrown into the pit or whatever, and he comes back, and Ray's dead. And I was thinking that the, that moment, Aaron, can you stay dead? Ray, can you just stay dead, please? Because that would have been unexpected. This was Ray's story the whole way through, and for her to die, oh my gosh. And I don't, it may come across, Aaron, like we're thinking, man, we just want people to die randomly or die unexpectedly. No, we want people to sacrifice their lives purposefully. And before he healed her and brought her back from the dead, her death was purposeful. And I felt like, okay, that's a great way to exclamation point your your title, JJ, The Rise of Skywalker. Ben's redeemed. I like a redemption story, and I think that's a great redemption story. Probably not as much as I would have liked something else, but that would have been a nice bow on it. And then <laughs> this is what weirded me out. He he heals her, and then he dies. And I'm like, what? Did, wait, did, did is that all you had left? I mean, at the so so my my second place uh, story would have been they kiss each other and then maybe they go on to be whatever you know Jedi twins or or that duality that that he was talking about. But then he just dies, and I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. That was so. What happened was not only did we did I get an an unsatisfying ending for Ray. But I got an equally unsatisfying ending for Ben, and I, that may make me sound like a like I don't like women or whatever. But I, I think that Ray's arc is important enough that sacrificing and doing all of that, if she's a Palpatine and she's able to harness all that energy, but she's also harnessing the power of the Jedi, that's a great moment. That's a great thing to say. Look, everything that I expelled of all that I am took everything out of me, and then the Force can just magically bring me back. To me, that's cheap, and it I is. don't like it. I don't like it at all, and I don't like the fact that now Ben's death felt a little futile to me because it's like, oh, you know what? Had he been a little bit stronger, had he not fallen five extra feet, he probably would have had enough force in him that he wouldn't have had to die. That's kind of how it felt to me because he didn't seem like when, when he was crawling out of that, that pit, I didn't think – I thought he survived, so that means he's probably going to be okay. Not that he only had like – 10% of his health left, then that was going to be all of it. Yeah, I just, to me, it feels very safe. It feels very much, let's toe the line of we have heroes and we have villains, and this is what happens to heroes, and this is what happens to villains. And we're going to give you some twists in between in the way that it happens, but ultimately we're going to land in the same place. Heroes live, villains die, and his only redemption is getting to give his life, is to die for a cause. Right. But like he doesn't get to live and be redeemed and go on to better his name or do good in the universe. I mean, I would have loved if they would have lived together, not together, but both had survived. I would have been fine with that. The kiss, I rolled my eyes and at that point was almost checked out of the movie because I was like, OK, I don't need Raylo. There, to me, has not been enough set up to warrant any sort of romantic, emotional connection between these two. Now, there is a powerful 
emotional connection that comes with having healed someone and someone having transferred their life force to you. I understand that, but it is not romantic. We do not see these characters get to know each other. And that was a romantic kiss. Can I just say this? So dumb. I t- yes. <laughs> My wife early in the movie said she made a little bold prediction. She said, I'll bet Kylo and Ray are brother or brother and sister. And so when they started, <laughs> when they started kissing, I, I leaned over to her and I said, I guess that squashes the whole brother-sister thing. And then he died. And I was like, oh, gosh, I just completely ruined that moment for my wife. <laughs> it was that's how that's how unexpected it was. I was like, OK, they're going to live. And I guess they're going to be boyfriend and girlfriend and have little Jedi babies. But <laughs> it just it felt so to me, that's the that's the crisscross thing. That's the. That's the surprise that doesn't make sense, that doesn't feel satisfying, because that's the last thing I ever wanted was for for Kylo or Ben, whatever we're calling him at this point, to die. Not because I didn't want him to die, but because it didn't make sense for him to die, Aaron. No, it, it didn't. And, and the last thing I will say, it was just out of place. Like It was just out of place in that moment for there suddenly to be this embracing kiss at the end. It just it felt... Again, forced back to my one word takeaway. The one other thing I wanted to say about Kylo that I felt really disappointed by in this movie is that I finally get something I've wanted for so long, which is the Knights of Ren. I, this this mythological concept that Kylo had this group of followers called the Knights of Ren with all these badass looking masks. We've seen like shadows of them here and there. We've never seen anything of them within action. And all we really get of them is this really brief scene of Kylo kicking their asses and then they're gone. Like, that's it in the entire trilogy. That's all we get. And I I wanted so much more to see from the Knights of Ren. So like if you were going to put them in the movie, I want to see them in action. Like, I want to see a bunch of like Jedi stuff happening with bad guys. Right. And then let me have Kylo take them on. And take them down in, in 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 a really cool fight scene, right? But like, I just needed more. I wanted I wanted more from them so much uh, because I thought that was such a cool concept. Like, but it didn't feel like it got paid off very well. Moving on, the other two main characters. Um, there are other main characters in this series. There are a lot of main characters. Um, we have Finn and Poe. I, I guess I'll just put. It, what did you think about? the arcs that we get for Finn and Poe in this movie. Still waiting for my buddy cop movie with Finn and Poe uh, after this. I think I, I like their chemistry. I think that they weren't on screen long enough with each other to be like the moments they had were comic relief. And I think that's pretty much how it played out the rest of the movie. We had small moments with Finn in his relationship with Ray. But I think that, for my take, Poe really seemed kind of like Han Solo light in in this movie. I think he kind of felt carbon copied a bit. They were entertaining. I think that they were fun on screen. But honestly, Aaron, I think that I could have done without them. You know, if they didn't need somebody to fly the Millennium Falcon or to shoot people, um, I think I could have been fine with I think it would just I would have been satisfied with a kind of a, a Ray Kylo story. And these guys were really more tertiary at that point. But um, I don't think they were as strong as they were in The Force Awakens uh, or The Last Jedi. 
uh, but they were still fun when they were on screen. And that's disappointing. <laughs> um, I love these guys, and I too would like a movie that gave them more to do. Uh, I do involve, I do enjoy them, some of the adventure that they went on, even though pretty much everything is a video game fetch quest series, like I wrote in my review with these two. I was extremely disappointed in the way that Finn's story arc goes from a really cool moment to him meeting other fellow deserter stormtroopers. That was absolutely cool as heck because it's something that he has struggled with and will always struggle with. And for him to realize that there are other people like him and to hear that story of how that entire unit laid down their weapons and wouldn't fight was extremely powerful. And then we turn it into another love interest and we push Rose completely off the picture and into the command tent, hardly to be seen in the entire film. And I'm sorry, but that is egregious to me. And it feels like JJ or JJ is saying, Ryan, you made a character that I don't like and I don't really have a place for. And so I'm just not going to deal with it. And I'm just going to sideline her because I don't want to deal with that. Even though this is a movie about togetherness. It is. And, you know, I really enjoy Rose's character in The Last Jedi. I think it's pretty fantastic. And she goes through an actual character arc and makes a really big move in the end of that movie that pretty much makes her a part of the team. And then she is just ignored. And it is, it is very frustrating to me. And I do not think it is diversity related in any way, shape or form. I will not make that claim. I think that that is silly. And I think somebody out there is probably going to say that because that's the internet for you. I do think it's just a matter of them thinking that character was not in our plans. And I don't, want to have to deal with writing her in. So we're going to just put her on the sidelines. And I thought that that shorted out Finn's story quite a bit, uh, honestly. And I wanted more for him. I wanted to see more of him. And, you know, when it comes to, I, I don't know why I said Finn. Poe, I'm Finn. Why am I backwards? Finn, goodness gracious. Finn's story. When it comes to Poe, he clearly is still dealing with the effects of The Last Jedi and his watching Admiral Haldo sacrifice herself um, and him kind of learning his lessons about when to be strong-headed and when not to. I, I can't say I remember much about him. I really enjoyed Zuri. And the character that he met, and I wish that we would have gotten more of her. There was another disappointing part where it was like, man, this is movie number three in a trilogy, and you're introducing me to this super neat character, and like I hardly get to know anything about her, but I want more of her. And that's that feels like that's part of the whole process of creating this series, right? This trilogy is like, oh, we're going to create this. And like Zuri is going to have a limited edition series on Disney plus next year. So be sure to subscribe and tune in to learn more about Zuri and Finn's adventures. And I just wanted more, you know, in this movie, if you're going to give her to me. So it's, it's a hard thing to do. It's but it feels 
intentional like that. Um, but outside of that, man, yeah, I can't really remember a lot about what had Finn had to go through. I know we got like an emotional moment when princess Leia died that he was, uh, you know, hurt by, he was definitely impacted by that. And then we get him making the decision that we're going to go all out. General Finn and general Poe, um, are going to go all out rather against the Sith homeworld <laughs> of godlike Emperor Palpatine. And it's all a hope and a prayer. He literally says that, you know, people will come if we lead them and we're just going to set out and hope that they show up. Patrick, I feel like that is such an insane plan and just doesn't make any sense. Be specifically because at the end of The Last Jedi, it's kind of like the same thing. They're holed up. They send out a distress call. No one comes, Patrick. It's just them. But now, instead... They fight this entire battle pretty much by themselves, are essentially beat, and it's just your normal formulaic story where all of a sudden we cut to a shot in the sky, and there's a fleet of thousands of ships just sitting there out of nowhere. Led like, by the appear. Millennium Falcon. I just, I rolled my eyes. I was like, okay, we're going to do this again. Like, there's nothing new here. There's no exciting, unique surprise here because it's what we've always seen. The, the, everybody shows up to follow you. You're the great leader and you took down the enemy and you won. You know, it's it's all over again like that. And I just did not love that. And I felt like I, I would have liked more for Finn to do as a leader than just fly out by himself solo, hoping people would show up to help him out. I mean Poe, not Finn. I do mean Poe. You know what? People listening know what I'm saying, I think. <laughs> I hope. I did mean Poe. Goodness gracious. See, this is what happens. Too many characters. <laughs> Too many single-syllable characters. Ray, Poe, Finn. Well, outside of character arcs and bigger themes, how did the movie work for you as a Star Wars movie? Because ah. I'm curious how you, you know, the adventure of it, watching it, was it entertaining? Yes, it absolutely was. I mean, I had a blast watching this. This was a... a in, <laughs> I will say this. The set pieces were pretty phenomenal, familiar as they were. I absolutely love the ability of like my favorite scenes were were Ray and Kylo fighting. Like they're two big fight sequences. My favorite was the one where they are in two different places. She's in his quarters and he's on the planet and they're actually fighting each other. I think that's a really cool thing with the force, being able to actually tangibly move objects and move them through space and time. I, I see you shaking your head, but I think it's pretty cool. I think, I think it is one of the worst things about this movie. Not, I'm so annoyed by I, the, all of a sudden in the entire world that we have seen in this, in eight movies previous to this. And all of a sudden we get like people passing lightsabers across time and space to each other for just space, not time. I, I just, it's, I, I can't, I can't get behind it. I just, I, Again, I don't. I, it is cool. You're right, cinematically, and that's what I asked you about. It is really cool to watch. So I but was it's like, man, you're breaking the rules. No, like, you're not. No that's, that's the thing. There may not be an explanation, but the fact is, Ryan Johnson sets that up. He sets up the idea that the Force is more than what we know, and I think it gives the freedom to be able to show those things. And what I think Abrams does really well is, you're right. We haven't seen that yet, but we didn't see some of the things that we saw in episodes seven or eight that we hadn't seen in the previous entry. So I think 
what we've what we've seen is a maybe not natural progression, but we have seen a progression in the ability of someone who uses the force that way. That being said, whether you disagree or not, um, I will say that those that that those fight sequences, the dialogue between the two, I think was visually choreographed well. I think it just it was entertaining to watch. I think that again, as canned as those battle sequences felt, they were classically Star Wars. These are things that I think we missed in the prequels that felt overly CGI, whereas this felt like we're watching Empire, we're watching Jedi, we're watching a lot of stuff happen at once. I think that one of my favorite moments between Ray and Kylo was when she's using the force to try to pull the transport down and he's trying to force it away and then the big electric electricity happens and we get that, oh my gosh, what was that? Those types of things I think were kind of cool. Um, and overall, I think as a space adventure, this is right on par with things like A New Hope, Empire, Jedi. Um, it's, I think it's, to me, conventionally comfortable. And I'm okay with that. I, I think I like that. Um, because I don't remember, aside from, aside from the, uh, the Holdo maneuver, I don't remember much from The Last Jedi in terms of, big battle sequences. And so I think that's a credit to JJ Abrams and kind of keeping that classic star Wars flavor in both of his movies. And uh, yeah, so as an adventure, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I agree. Like all, all that stuff is on my list as well. The dual pulling down of the transport that they think Chewie's in is super awesome to watch cinematically, especially because it comes right after that sweet flip and, lightsaber cut of his tie fighter and the way the camera is pulled back and we have this full view of them off in the distance kind of fighting with that and and we get to see the other characters like responding to that like what is happening like and just like in real life you would you'd be freaked out if you saw that right and so they are freaked out and i, I love that as well i think one of my favorite parts was early on the light speed skipping chase so the evolution of the Millennium Falcon chase scene there, I thought that was super cool and made a lot of sense the way that, you know, Poe is zipping through and, and they're freaking out. It just it was really reminiscent of Han Solo doing something with a Falcon that was dangerous going through the asteroid field or something because the odds were not with him in the action that he was taking. And it looked very cool. The whole idea of visiting Exegol on the Sith homeworld execution of it, I didn't love, but the idea of it existing and them having to go to it was really cool. The look of the fleet coming up, rising out, all these Star Destroyers with mobile Death Stars, all that stuff was awesome. Stormtroopers with jetpacks, that was cool. I really liked the entire idea of an adventure quest and the way that it plays out with them searching for this marker and... The, the Sith knife having a marker. This is all very video gamey to me, and that's why I liked it. So it's like you find the Sith knife, and you inspect it like Nathan Drake, and oh, and it buzzes, and then oh, there's text on it, and now you read the text, and now you got to go find the, the key to like translate the text and find the location to go to the next location. And so it was very much like that, and I freaking loved it. The idea of them having to heal the space snake to get by it, whereas... You very clearly see tons of dead people who have tried to get by it by killing it. 
that felt um, really reminiscent of many old fantasy tropes of trying to get through uh, hmm. a door blocked by an enemy where there's a trick to it. It's a puzzle. And you do the kind thing instead of the harmful thing, and that's what ends up getting you out of the cave. So all that stuff, man. It was like a blend of Borderlands 3 vault hunting and Tomb Raider tomb raiding all in one in that whole middle sequence adventure. And I was totally here for that. Yeah. Uh, big time. Babu Frick, you know, Disney has a way of doing this. Star Wars, you know, we got Baby Yoda, and now we got Babu Frick. Babu Frick almost redeems this movie by himself, in my opinion. That guy is amazing. Did you have so much fun with him? I did. I don't think he had enough screen time, personally. But at the same time, I think he had the perfect amount of screen time. Because I think he would have come across as overly cute. I, I think the the bad execution for me was the uh, as a contrast in The Last Jedi, the little creatures. Porous. Yeah. I think those were overly used. I think he was under to almost perfectly used in this. I agree. No, I'm with you 100%. Because you you want it... To be used perfectly is to leave me wanting a little more. Yeah. You know, you give me too, more, too much, and then it's, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. And, and the Porgs were actually... They made an appearance here, and I thought they were kind of cute. Especially... I'll give it... it I, probably because it was fun watching it with my teenage son and his face when the Porg slams across and lands on the mirror... Or on the window of... The Falcon and is like, is like pressed up against it, flattened out with his face <laughs> like a mosquito. Out. Yeah, and and Tyler was like just flipping out over how cute that was, and I gotta admit, like that was pretty adorable. So that was good. Um, but yeah, and then the saber fight on the water planet we already talked about, that was really cool. Like I said, a callback. Uh, and then I liked the idea of Ray having Luke and Leia's sabers and going into battle with them from a um, an imagery standpoint that's really awesome it also presented another one of my big problems with consistency because i know we're skipping things but like luke's lightsaber was broken and it's magically fixed at the beginning of this movie no explanation no explanation at all sabers don't get magically fixed they you go to a loom and it's not easy and you have to find a kyber crystal and there's a whole process i just did went through it in jedi fallen order the video game and, ooh, that might be a spoiler. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, yeah, you you have to go through this whole process. And it's a big, big deal to get your own lightsaber and to fix a lightsaber like that. But she didn't have to. And then it gets broken again in this movie. And this is even worse because no time passes. And it's suddenly, like, fixed within a couple days or whatever and working again. And then a third time, at the end of the movie, she gets a lightsaber. And it's a new one. And mind you... As much as I feel like this is such a like consistency issue, it's yellow. And I love it because yellow is my favorite color. And the first thing I did in Jedi Fallen Order video game, as soon as I could, Patrick, is I started using a yellow lightsaber and I went around murdering things with it. And so, bad things. <laughs> you're a bad murdering Jedi. Bad things. I was going to say, you're a bad Jedi. <laughs> I murdered evil things. Anakin, are you murdering uh, <laughs> children? <laughs> so that was like a kind of a mixed bag for me. But like, seriously, like the idea of Luke and Labor's sabers layers <laughs> yeah who's labor <laughs> this is hard this is hard words are hard and 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 again therein lies the problem with this whole movie for me is conflict because part of me the fan in me says luke and leia's sabers and the idea and the imagery of you channeling that skywalker history and going into battle 
is really awesome. But part of me is like, no, you don't need to be a Skywalker to go into battle and do it on your own. And so it's like, I just don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff in this movie, man. I, I really did enjoy watching Lando is another one. I got a kick out of Lando showing up and being a part of this adventure. I think if I had my druthers with regard to the lightsabers, I would have liked to have seen them, although this wouldn't have been possible physically to have them crafted together like a, like a, like a bow, you know? So like a, like a a Darth Maul type thing where you got the blue and the green ends, you know, like that. You're like, Oh my gosh, I got Luke and Leia like right here. Thought it would have been, or have it be a lightsaber that you could break apart into two or, you know, harness them together with hydraulics or something where you could use, I mean, anyway, just a, just a little wish list there. Yeah. And then, yeah, well, you made me remember the whole Luke walking out of the fire, like saving the lightsaber thing to <laughs> just, I got to get over it. Anyway, uh, moving on from force weirdness. Uh, how does this work for you? We'll wrap up here. How does this work as a capstone ultimately to the nine part Skywalker saga? So not as a trilogy, but as a, end point for this entire 40 year span of a story and where does your interest in this franchise and intellectual property stand for the future not what you want to see because i'm thinking maybe we'll do some bonus content about what we would like to see going forward but just like are you excited no i mean (laughs) to point to, to put it bluntly i think at this point i am satisfied that it is ending i'm one of the few dads in the world right now who has not exposed his child to star wars deliberately he has watched i think one episode of the clone wars and was not really interested um i don't know that i'm ready for him to appreciate the star wars saga but one thing that i do know is that i don't know how i would start it (laughs) what i start with the middle three, would I start with the first three? Would I start with the last three? Would I just randomly pick one and say, here's something cool. Here's what's going on right now. So you can be kind of clued in to the, uh, to the story so far. I think for, for my money, I'm good with nine individual episodes, honestly. And if I could think of them that way, yeah, I think, I think I'm pretty satisfied with it. I am. In a weird place. I enjoy watching them so much when I watch them. I enjoy taking part in the hype when a new one is going to come out and the conversation surrounding them. But they fade from my brain super fast. I don't think about them constantly. I don't watch them just for the heck of it. I only watch them because a new one's coming out. (laughs) It's just the way it is. And... I am not super excited about the future. I am digging the Mandalorian. It's good. It's fun. And I've had a good time with it. And I'm somewhat excited, or I guess not excited, but I'm intrigued by the coming Obi-Wan series. I think that what would get me excited, Patrick, is if Ryan Johnson actually does announce that he's given full reign over a trilogy and they say, here you go, go make a trilogy. I'd be excited about that uh, because I, I would trust that it would be something special well, and different. 
And I think what he wants to do and what he tested the waters with was he didn't have to have reach back. He didn't have to have that intertextuality to kind of make people like what he was doing, which is probably why his stuff wasn't liked by everybody. And so Agreed. I, and so I think a, a new trilogy independent of anything related to what we've seen before would be refreshing. It would probably be a hard sell, which is probably why he doesn't have the green light for that yet. But it would be very interesting to see that without the context of Anakin or C-3PO or Yoda or Luke or yep. Ray. Exactly. And I, and I wondered how that Disney is going to allow that to go, you know, or is every single thing that's going to happen in this universe at some point going to have to have Easter eggs that tie back to this saga in order to be fan service, to connect fans to it and give them that cutesy little feeling that we get and we have excitement. So I, I don't know, man, I, I'm not feeling super happy about it right now. And I know that I'm on a low sort of coming out of this of disappointment. So it may change, but yeah, it's not a franchise that I am in a hurry to get more of. And I could really be just fine if we never got any more. I know it probably is going to make people really sad to hear, but that's the facts. Like, I don't think I would miss the Star Wars universe if it ceased to put out material, personally. Uh, but like I teased, we have some bonus content coming <laughs> next week, and we are going to spend our bonus content time, just chatting about what ideas we would like to see done and what would excite us and bring us back into the Star Wars fold. So if you're a patron, you can look for that in the bonus feed here about a week from now, probably. Maybe less if we're fast. <laughs> Maybe we'll just like put it there with the Force because the Force can do everything. It can at this point. At this point, it can do everything. Maybe. Reach through this computer screen with the Force. And take it. Touch your face. <laughs> can you write a good screenplay? <laughs> Ooh, um, I'm saying. Yeah, no, no, I can't. So that's why I'm not going to necessarily dog on. So this is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I respect the crap out of J.J. Abrams and his creative team, because as much as we are film critics, we can't hold the candle to the creative process that is that. So at the end of the day, be proud of what you made, even if people don't really gravitate towards it. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is the time of our episode where we come to our connecting point. And I guess since I don't see one in the notes, I need to ask you before I say, Patrick, what's your connecting point? Patrick, do you have a connecting point? I, I wrestled with this. I don't really because, you know, Ben's redemption with Han, I think was, was good. I did, I did feel something there, but it felt a little bit derivative because I think what Abrams was doing was essentially recreating that moment where, the same lines are said, except it's a different result. And then we see Ben throw his lightsaber into the sea. And it felt a little cliche for me. I, it was touching. And I think it was cool to see Han there again. And he goes and be able to say, I know one more time. But again, too much intertextuality, too much callback, too much. Hey, remember when? And to me, I, I, I had to check my emotions and say, no, JJ, you're not going to do this to me. You're not going to do this to me. And so I had to take that off the table because I didn't, I, that felt, it felt like I was being manipulated. <laughs> like it wasn't a real connecting point. Like it was JJ saying, you're going to connect to this point right now. 
And I'm like, no, I will refuse to do that, JJ. Well, okay. There's many points in this film where I did feel emotionally manipulated, so I totally understand. Um, but that is my connecting point. Okay. Is Kylo and Force Han. So Leia dies. You just kind of pointed it out. And, <laughs> did I just ruin your connecting points? Well, that's why you were getting the face, because this is the part of the show where we're like all positive no matter what, and you're like making a scene bad that I'm about to like <laughs> say was my connecting point. So you sort of just kind of ruined that, but that's okay. I'm the last. It is what it is. Skywalker. It is what it is. You dark soul, Darth <laughs> Patch. Listen, I yeah, it worked for me. Okay, so. I guess I love Han more than I have known, to be honest. I think that The Force Awakens and his appearance there, especially this last time watching it, it really elevated his character for me as a whole. And Solo has added to that because I enjoyed that movie a lot, getting some backstory for him. And uh, and so having him reappear while was 100%, you're right, it is, it is very forced back to my one more takeaway it is very clearly like fan service and yet the dialogue is what won me over here he says kylo ren is dead my son is alive your mother's gone but what she stood for and fought for that is not gone and then like you said his response he just says dad and han says i know and I'm sorry, but like that is the most emotional moment in this movie for me, easily, because it does call back to, I love you, I know. And to come as a moment of comfort, of the grief of just having lost your mother from your dad who you murdered and now obviously are regretting and feeling guilt about, it is beautiful. And I feel like it ties that family together so well to use that language. Um, and I just, I thought it was perfectly executed. I didn't think it was overly done. I thought it didn't overstay its welcome. It was brief and then it was gone. Han didn't come back multiple times to help the resistance out or anything like that. Um, and I, I just, I loved it. I thought it was really beautiful. Well, I agree with you that it did not overstay its welcome. I felt like the tone of the, the beats and everything were, were really perfectly timed. And, uh, and I'm glad, I'm glad you connected to it. Well, that's all I got, man. Okay. That's it. That's it. Um, <laughs> unless you got something else. I don't. And you know, with the end of this, I said great saga with the end of this saga comes the end of this episode of feeling film officially, but wait, there's more coming around the bend as Aaron mentioned earlier. So keep your pod catchers catching as we are bringing you more fun content over the next couple of weeks. And you'll uh, you'll want to stick around for that. Uh, watch the movies, of course, and then join us for the conversation. Speaking of conversations, Aaron, as on the downer side as this was, it was still a great one, as usual. And we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, 
Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.